a joy always to worship with you. And uh, it doesn't take real long to read the text this morning. Um, but what I want to do as we look at the text this morning is uh, sort of let you know that what we're going to look at is probably a different way of looking at this particular petition than you may have normally looked at it. Uh, so I want you to just sort of be ready for that. And um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to open our hearts. Father, would you open our minds, open our hearts as we look afresh at your word. Speak to us, we pray. Take this bread, your bread, your word, and feed us today, tomorrow, forever. In Jesus' name, amen. There's something about this, um, this prayer, as uh, others have said, not just the Lord's Prayer, not just the disciples' prayer, but I want to call it the church's prayer. And the reason I want to call it the church's prayer is because of the critical word that happens in this particular shifting of the text that we're looking at today. So if you've got the text open in front of you uh, from Matthew chapter 6, you will see that uh, we come to verse 11, and it says, Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to shift that around a little bit, but I want us to start out by looking at the us. Give us. Give us. I'm not sure how many of you might have followed uh, a while back it wasn't very long ago. There was a, um, an evangelist uh, from the Deep South who, um, by the name of Jesse Duplantis, and if you followed Jesse Duplantis, he, he asked his followers for a need. That's what he called it. It was for a luxury jet of $54 million. Some of you shaking your head, you remember seeing that in the news. Uh, uh, many years ago, I was... Uh, uh, when I was first introduced to health and wealth gospel, I was uh, a young man driving on my way to New York City on the New Jersey Turnpike, and I tuned in the radio to uh, health and wealth gospel pastor, and I got so angry that I didn't pay any attention to my speedometer, and pretty soon I had a little flashing blue light next to me, and the policeman pulled me over, and he said, what were you thinking? And I, I didn't have the heart to tell him, that I was arguing with a preacher about his text. <laughs> I just paid my ticket and thought, better pay a little more attention to today's bread <laughs> uh, because it just fled from my pocket. But uh, Jesse Duplantis uh, pled with his, his followers that he needed a $54 million jet. Now, mind you, it wasn't his first one. It was his fourth one. But graciously, he said he would give his his other one away. I don't know what he's going to do with the first three. Maybe he already sold those. But uh, what was interesting was that he was able to translate this into a need. So if we come to this text, and if we think we're going to translate it as, uh, Lord, give me today's needs then you're right on track with Jesse Duplantis. You can probably translate anything into a need if you can follow him. 
If you can follow the health and wealth gospel, you can translate anything into a need. Uh, uh, Duplantis basically said, well, I need this jet. Uh, sorry, he said, my ministry needs this jet so that we can proclaim the gospel. Uh, he said, if, if Jesus came today, he wouldn't be riding on a donkey. He would be flying in an airplane. So I need to be like Jesus. I need to ride in a luxury jet. I want to give you another paradigm, a little paradigm shift that I think is a little closer to understanding what this prayer that we're trying to tackle in these weeks of this month uh, is about. Because really, the disciples' prayer, the church's prayer, is not a it's not a, a formula to say, when I, when I come before God and, and when I want to learn to pray, I'm going to follow the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's not a formula. It's, it's much more like a table of contents in which I, I come to it and I find the richness of what my prayer life, my conversation with God ought to be like. So I want to give you another illustration of a slightly different kind of formula that I'm, I'm going to guess that most of you have been uh, aware of and have been following this last week, and that is the soccer team that got lost in the uh, underground caverns in Thailand. Uh, I think most of you have been aware of that. Sort of an amazing uh, search and rescue that's gone on over the last couple of weeks, if you haven't been following it, uh, where the soccer team, young boys, uh, and their young soccer coach, 25 was how old the soccer coach was, uh, emerged into this uh, deep cavern in, uh, in Thailand. And as they went in there, uh, it, the rains, the monsoons had begun. And uh, you, you may wonder, how in the world do you get trapped in this where the water just emerges? You have to be in parts of the world where uh, a little trickle of water all of a sudden just comes boop, like this. Uh, in order to understand what happens when water rises quickly. Well, that's what happened to them. And you know the story. You know that it took thousands of volunteers. You know, you know that it took miles uh, of, uh, uh, of cables, uh, hundreds of oxygen tanks. Uh, it, took, uh, it took food. It took people from around the world. If you listed all of the supplies uh, that it took, to get those boys out, it was just a phenomenal rescue operation. And all of those were good and necessary things. But the more I looked and the more I read out of fascination for that story, there was a single thing that nobody could provide. And that was whether or not it was going to rain. Had it rained, and it was monsoon, it would have been a fruitless attempt. The waters would have risen and risen and risen. And you know at the very end, when the rescue is just over, the last rescuer was at the final entry cave and the waters instantly came up. The rain came. God held the rains long enough for the boys to get out. So we become aware of the fact that we can have a lot of pieces, a lot of things in place, but still have deep 
dependent need for God's hand upon us. That's what this text is about. It's not, it is not about me, first of all. We're not praying for ourselves. We're praying for us. We're praying for us. It's not about desperation, although the boys in the cave were indeed in a desperate situation. But we have a God, indeed, of abundance. However, our God of abundance wants us to be dependent upon him. So this is about a de- what I want to call a determined dependency. That we understand, I walk, I move because of God. I learn to be dependent. And it's third, not about my desires, but it's about the needs that I have in order to accomplish God's desires. Not my desires, but my needs to fulfill God's desires. That sort of reforms and reshapes my needs and the identification of what I need. So let's look at these words. There are very few of them, but I want us to look more deeply at them. The very beginning, and, and, and this prayer opens, uh, opens up to us, and if you just let your eyes run down, you'll see. Uh, verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The plural again, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, so at this point in the prayer, the plural is used, us, 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 us. It's about us. Give us. Now, what does that mean? It, 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 what it's implying is responsibility. We're asking for, res- we are asking for responsibility. In a world of poverty, we are asking for something to share, to give. Give us, not me. Give us. Rich versus poor. Opportunity versus those that are deprived. Justice versus injustice. Give us. And so the prayer begins to take on a new light for us. It's not just give me. I'm in the center of this. No, I'm a part of this. I am a part of this because I belong to others. It's a strange way of looking at it. Actually, I'm indebted to our years in Africa for understanding. Uh, And the philosophy that I learned became part of me was... um, very different from a Western philosophy, which you know, basically comes out this way. Uh, I think, therefore, I am. Uh, our, our Western philosophies and our Western lives are sort of built around that. It's, it's all about me. In Africa, I learned it's not about me. I am because we are. It's a very different philosophy. My existence, my very existence is formed by the community. Who I am is a part of who we are. So when we pray this, Lord, give us, it's us. 
It's all of us, and not just us in this congregation, but us in this city, us in this world. We're actually asking that God would open our eyes and allow us to see a global responsibility for the provisions that he gives. We don't have time to open this up fully, but there's an enormous privilege, an enormous opportunity, an enormous responsibility that God lays before us, and we're actually asking him for it. So we ask him for that responsibility, to share, to give, to provide for others. You remember that um, Cain, when uh, God found him after he had beaten his brother to death, uh, uh, he, he was asked the question, uh, uh, Cain, where is your brother? I don't know, he said. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, here we are in the New Testament, and God is basically telling us, Jesus is giving us this, not just a model, but this directory for prayer and saying, yes, you are your brother's keeper. And this is how you keep him or her. You are your sister's keeper. You are together. You share a responsibility. Now, you remember in the Old Testament, there was bread that was provided in the form of manna. Uh, You remember what happened with the manna? Uh, The children of Israel were hungry in the wilderness. They went out to get the manna in the wilderness, and they saw this white stuff look like, I don't know, maybe it looked like snow. And they gathered it up every morning for that day. And I've got to say, for years, I have thought of this prayer as this part of the prayer, as being like manna. Like, I ought to be asking God for manna. I ought to be asking God, Lord, might I go out every morning and sweep up the manna so that I can eat that for today? There's a shift. And the shift happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the manna was indeed bread for the day. And if they tried to keep it for the next day, you know what happened? It rotted. It wasn't any good. And uh, when it came to the seventh day, God said, well, keep a double portion of it because on that day, it will be for the next day as well. That was the day of rest. It was, it was a reminder that there was coming a day of rest when God was going to provide for the next day and the next day and the next day. Jesus is that day of rest. So when we come to the New Testament, it shouldn't surprise us that the prayer that God gives to us, this directory and now this phrase, is much more than give us manna for today so that by the time night falls, it needs to be all gone. No, actually the Greek that's used is only used in this place. So the meaning is a little obscure. But the best we can understand is give me today, give us today, tomorrow's bread. It changes the way we go about it and the way we think about it. So what God is saying is pray for hope. Hope for tomorrow. When you begin to think about how many people have no hope, they live for today, 
because they have no hope for tomorrow? God says, pray, give us bread for tomorrow. There may be hope. We live in a world without hope. I receive today what I need for tomorrow, so I have, to, I have to steward it. I have to keep it. I have to take care of it. And it's not just me, but I have to take care of us. So what I get today, what we get today, we have to take care of so that tomorrow we have it. God gives us a green world. We have to take care of the world so that our children and our grandchildren get to enjoy it. I spent years living on a continent where I have watched the Sahara grow year by year by year. Much of the growth of the Sahara has simply come because the trees have been cut down and cut down and cut down and cut down. I remember flying over Congo when much of the virgin forests of Congo were flattened and burned. Vast parts of our world have simply been destroyed. And you say, well, bad on the people that cut it down. But guess what? The people who cut it down aren't the ones who used it. You know who uses it? We use it. You know who uses the Brazilian rainforest? Oh, people that like really fancy decking. And they screw that decking down into their deck frames. So consumers of the world use it from other parts of the world. But God says, pray not only for responsibility, but for hope, hope for the world. Pray that others have hope as you have hope. I give you hope for tomorrow that others also may have hope. Pray for it and live for it. Pray and live. The book of Proverbs, we're reminded, the author of Proverbs puts it in a very uh, beautiful and succinct way. He says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Don't give me either poverty or riches. Um, give me my daily bread. Uh, otherwise, I might have too much and I disown you. Uh, and say, who is the Lord? I don't need him. I, I have enough, my, I've provided for myself. Or I become poor and I steal. So when we look at the world, we look at this text. We say God has done something special by giving to us the bread of life in Christ Jesus. He shifted the paradigm from manna, in which I'm running around getting enough just for me and my family. That's what God said to saying, no, I have the true bread from heaven that feeds the world, that provides for others, not just for me and my family, but he provides for others as well. It's the hope, and I'm praying for that. And God calls me to pray for it. God calls me to seek the minimum that I need so that I can do the maximum that he wants in the world. Let's look again 
the final phrase of this is maybe the most mystifying. If, if the idea of give us is already a bit alarming, that we're not actually asking for my needs. And mind you, if you would just take a moment to think about how you pray and how we pray, and if you could take a recording of it and, or, or write down and ask yourself the question, how many of my personal needs do I list to God? How many of those needs or those things that I'm asking God for are for me, and how many of those things are for other people? Uh, we might all be pretty embarrassed. So, so, so the first sort of wonderment about this is that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about us. And the second incredible thing is to understand if it's not about us, it's about hope. It's not about desperation. It's about moving forward. It's about all of us moving forward. But the third mystery of this text is the bread. The bread. Now, that ought to be pretty basic. Uh, you know, it occurs in most of our homes and uh, throughout the world, uh, everybody's got some idea about bread. Now, there are parts of the world, believe me, that uh, would either rather eat rice than bread, and other parts would rather have bread than rice. Uh, but even in the parts of the world where rice is preferred, the same understanding has, is, is present, and that is, you would call it bread, it's rice. When I call it rice, it's bread. So it's, it's sort of seen as a staple of life. Now, if we go into the scriptures and ask, how does the Bible use the word bread? So that we understand what this petition is actually asking. What do we mean when we say, give us today tomorrow's bread? What are we asking for? Are you asking for a staple? I mean, you know, that which you eat the most of? Are you asking literally for a loaf of bread? What, what is it that you're asking for? So let me just let your mind go with mine uh, through Scripture so that you get sort of a sense of the array of what the Bible talks about. And then I want you to think about your own life, your own heart, and your own prayer. If you were to turn, and, and I, uh, if, if I were really running ahead, I'd have all these on the slides for you, but I, I'm going to go to old-time technology. There's a Bible right in front of you. Uh, it's, it's in the pew. So if you'd like to open that Bible up, you can actually do that. You can find most of these. If you don't want to uh, go to the work, you can just listen to it. But in Numbers chapter 14, verse 9, there's an incredible use of the word bread. And I want to start with this use. Numbers 14, 9. Because bread might be that God is using enemies or giants in our lives to remind us of our need for him. And he calls that bread. Here it is. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us, do not fear them. 
So God calls enemies bread. Now, put this back in the petition. Lord, give us today tomorrow's enemy. How's that feel? Feels pretty good, right? <laughs> you, you don't like that one. <laughs> well, uh, um, let's try a different meaning then. If you don't like to pray for uh, tomorrow's enemies today, tomorrow's troubles uh, today, but that's actually bread. Why is it bread? Let me just pause for a moment on this. Why is that bread? It's because it reminds us that God is a supplier and that God will actually be with us. He will hold us. He will keep us. That that which seems bitter in our mouth, he will sweeten and he will take care of. And so he provides what makes a transformation in us. He provides growth for us. And that's what it's about. And sometimes it's a struggle. It's a difficulty. It's an enemy. That's what it was in, in Numbers chapter 14. So bread might be the presence of God. And look here at Numbers chapter 4, verse 7. We read this. And over the table of the bread of presence, they shall spread a cloth of blue and put on it the plates, the dishes for incense, the bowls, the flagons for drink offering, and the regular showbread shall also be on it. Now, of course, that's the description of the tabernacle. There was a place for bread. Why bread? Because it was reflecting. It was a sign. It was a symbol of God's provision. When Jesus came many years later and said, I am the bread of life, he was speaking to people that knew very well, wait a minute, there's a table of showbread here. Jesus is saying, I came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. I'm the one that you've been celebrating all these years. Not for today, but for tomorrow. The presence of God is with us. So when we pray, Lord, give us today your presence for tomorrow, it changes the struggles that we have. I know and you know, you're going to have a struggle tomorrow. You're going to sit here and worry about it. Or are you going to go home and worry about it? You're going to think about it. Well, God says, listen, you can do something about that worry. Pray for my presence today. That it will be with you tomorrow. All of a sudden, it changes, doesn't it? It changes who we are because we're now in God's presence. Yes, you'll have the struggle, but you have the presence of God. That's the bread that we've prayed for. It might actually be a gift of blessing from someone else that we pray for. Let's look at 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And David, when he had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he distributed to all of Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. A blessing. So when we're praying for bread, 
we may also pray for blessing. Again, note, it was not individual, it was collective. We get to bless each other. Lord, give me, give us today tomorrow's blessing. Lord, give us today the opportunity to bless each other tomorrow. To walk into each other's lives and remind each other, you are a child of the King. You are blessed in the King. There's something you need? Here, let me share. God has given to me for you. It's the blessing. God gives us a blessing to share. Gave it to David. David gave it on. Bread might be a sacrificial opportunity. Look at Ezra chapter 6, verse 22. It might be a sacrificial opportunity that simply releases the joy of our hearts for God's work. Bread. They kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. There was a whole feast of the unleavened bread, a feast to remind them of God's presence, of God's care, of God's going before them, of God's provision. And you know what? They didn't keep the feast. Here they did. They finally remembered the feast that God had given. And it was for them a reminder of God's glory. It was a sacrificial moment. So sometimes when we ask for bread, we're asking for an opportunity for sacrifice in God's kingdom. Pray for bread. That's what you're praying for. A moment of sacrifice. It might be, as in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, you want to look there, Nehemiah 9, 15. Um, it might be what we need to survive until we receive a fuller blessing that God intends. Sort of like uh, K-rations when you're camping. Uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to the camping trip being over, but until it's over, I need to eat. So I will eat what it is that I brought. This is what in Nehemiah 9, 15. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water from them out of the rock for their thirst. It's obviously a reflection uh, of the children of Israel as they're passing through the wilderness. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. So as the Israelites were going through the wilderness, they received this manna, this water from the rock, waiting for the fullness of God's blessing, waiting for the promised land. It was sustenance until bread. They prayed for bread. Pray for bread. Pray for that bread. But it might be a deprivation, something that God takes away. And at this point, you're going to say, wait a minute, I've heard enough. I, I want to stop praying. <laughs> I don't want to pray anymore. I don't want to pray for bread. Uh, because if this is what bread means, 
then, then I, I'm going to skip over this, this petition. Look at Amos chapter 4, verse 6. God said, I gave you cleanness of teeth. That sounds like something a dentist would, would want to say. But it's actually meaning there's nothing in between your teeth to chew on. You're hungry. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet, you did not turn to me. Sometimes God gives us deprivation just to get us to turn, to get us to ask, to get us to come back to him, to say, Lord, I do need you. I don't know where my hope will come from. Bread might be a kingdom opportunity, which we see but others don't see. You remember when Jesus was at the well of Sychar? That's where the Samaritan woman was. And the disciples went into the little town of Sychar. They came back and they saw Jesus speaking with this woman. There was a whole exchange that went on. But at, at the end of that exchange, uh, they, I mean, they'd gone into town to get food. And Jesus said, I, I, I don't need to eat. They said, well, did you eat already? How, where, where was the food? We went to get the food. And Jesus' response was, I have food that you don't know about. Because my food, my bread, is to do the will of the Father. It was an opportunity. I'm not sure why it is in this world that when we have much, we struggle not only to reach out to God, but to give thanks to God. Probably the most significant giving worship service in my memory was in a refugee camp a number of years ago. It was a refugee camp in which people had fled for their lives. Burundi, off the end of the lake. And there were probably assembled the remnants of six or seven different congregations. They met together in one extended place. I don't know that I would call it a building exactly, but it was made of iron sheets, just a dirt floor, no windows. The time came for the offering. I thought, well, it's good. it's good to have an offering. I'm not quite sure what the um, pastors or the leaders of this congregation believe they're going to get out of this offering, but uh, given the fact that everybody's a refugee, if you've ever been to our home, you, you will have seen what they had there. Uh, it's a tall basket, about this, stands about this high, a big, long stem on it, and then it opens up. It's about this big around the top. There were four of them uh, across the front. Uh, they didn't pass them. People passed by. Uh, and the, um, the band was playing off on one side like the drum set here, but uh, the drums there were tin cans, literally. And uh, makeshift, the cymbals were beaten out of drums and 
car rims and a few other things. Uh, it was pretty impressive for what they had to work with. But as the offertory went on and the offering went on, I watched these four baskets fill and fill and fill and fill and overflow and overflow more until the offering was all over the floor. Refugees who had no hope for tomorrow but their hope in Jesus who is the bread of the world. and brought the little that they had to share with those that didn't. Sometimes, God will give you struggle. You may have prayed for deliverance from a struggle, maybe from a temptation, and you're still not delivered. You may have prayed for meaning in your life, for opportunity. It's for all good things. And you may be wondering why God still hasn't provided it. And what I want to suggest is that you may be eating the bread of life. God's sufficient presence today for tomorrow. You may not want to eat that bread, but that's the bread that makes you strong. That's the bread that gives you life. That's the bread that causes you to turn your eyes one more time to Jesus. We pray for the opportunity to serve, to empower others that keeps us dependent upon Christ and seeking the interest of others. Lord, give us today tomorrow's bread. Let's pray. Father, we yearn to do your will. We yearn to have our hearts and our desires aligned with yours. Open our minds, we pray. Open our eyes, we pray. That we might see the incredible opportunities that you lay before us. Make us responsible. Give to us the joy of our hearts as we count the many ways that you provide your bread for our tomorrows. Because you make our eyes fixed upon Jesus, our bread, our nurture, our presence, our hope, our delight, 
our salvation. Hold us, we pray, Father, in the dark and in the light, in the day and in the night. Hold us when we're alone. Hold us when we stand together. Provide for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.